0: In church, Good morning. take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be this morning in God's Word. And we are in week three of our series, Bless. And you know, the, the acrostic we've been journeying up to this point, um, the B stands for begin with prayer. Maybe the last couple of weeks you've been thinking a little bit about your prayer routine about being alone with the Lord and letting him love you and letting his presence fill your heart and then letting his life flow through your life. And that's that's the Christ life. That's what Christianity is all about. And so beginning with prayer. But then L, week two, last week, we talked about listening and listening well and listening is loving to other people. And today you're going to see we're, we talk about eat. And it's one of my favorite weeks. Um, you know this is an easy thing right no conviction on eating actually As a preacher, I found a way to bring some conviction. So we're going to talk about that as well. I'm just joking. All right. Next, uh, S, next week is going to be serve. We as the people. Jesus, the great servant. His people are servants. Uh, That's what we do. It is our DNA. That's going to be an easy one next week. Uh, And then last story. We all have a story. You have multiple stories of what God's done in your life. You have all kinds of stories to share. And being faithful with those stories and sharing those stories. We're going to talk a little bit about that on the last week, February the six. But today, eat. Now, this is something that we all need to make sure that we are really good at. In fact, we should have New Year's resolutions. We should make sure we do this really well this year and commit and dedicate ourselves to this incredible principle. If there was a week that could shape your New Year's resolutions shape your whole life. Oh, please, let it be this week. Amen? I know I can say that about all the weeks, but I really want you to pay attention. I want you to lean in here and not dismiss it because it seems like a very familiar subject. feels like something we can do pretty well. But if you tap into the power and the potential of this principle today... I promise you it could blow your mind how little effort it takes for you to make an enormous impact in your life because you are already doing this. It's just doing it intentionally and missionally and taking something that we already do and it's very natural and giving it a missional intention. That's it. That's all that you are doing. And so we're going to look at this from Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. I'm going to read down. Uh, Just follow along with me. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to take this time. Father, we just commit this time to you. And time we open your word, your saints gathered, we have your personal presence, Lord Jesus. Um, Lord would you minister to us from your word show us who you are show us who we are enlighten our hearts, our minds open our ears and our eyes to see you, to know you to fellowship with you to be filled with your power and your presence and Lord to learn how to walk with you in this life to be used of you is the greatest joy this life has to offer so teach us And use us for your own glory and for our joy. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. There is an undercurrent tension in the passage here. And the tension kind of creates the conversation a little bit. Um, And that tension that's in it is the tension between uh, what we commonly call being in the world, not of the world. Right? Well, there's a tension there, isn't it? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. There's a tension that that automatically creates in our lives um, it's the tension of being a saint in Jesus and being a friend of sinners um, that's just that's another a tension that just creates in our life. And if you're going to walk with Christ, you're going to have this tension in your life. There's no way to avoid it. It is part of the Christian experience. You just need to know how to navigate it and you know how to use it well because that's how Christ uses us in life is to exist in this tension of being fully and faithfully uh, walking with Christ and yet doing what Christ did and that is uh, being in a world, impacting other people's lives, getting to know them, carrying burdens and tensions of other people. That's the Christ life. In our passage today, Jesus shatters some cultural, social barriers that are there. And as he often did, think of the woman at the well. First of all, men don't talk to women. They especially don't do it privately. And then Jews don't talk to Samaritans. He just shatters all of it. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that anybody sees or what. It just blows through all those social barriers. And today he's blowing through another one. Um, and it creates this tension. Jesus is considered a rabbi, a teacher of the day. And a rabbi or a teacher would select students, disciples, to follow him in his, in his life. And he would live his life before them, and he would teach them and train them. Um, and he would approach people the way rabbis commonly did in that day by saying follow me in other words you're one of the chosen to be in my inner circle to follow me and to be my my personal student to be in my inner circle to take the influence that I have and so one of the people that he picks is Matthew a tax collector now let me tell you about a tax collector and you know why this is peculiar that Jesus would pick a tax collector you can almost say okay on the fisherman choice right he picked Peter others and and from Fisher but now he picks a tax collector well a tax collector is basically a Jew who has partnered with Rome so from the village Rome is occupying and and a part of our village a part of our own people go partner with Rome an oppressive uh ruler and begin to tax us. In other words, keeping data on us, on our financial status, demanding that we pay every dime of our tax and making sure that we're giving Rome everything that's due to Rome. Um, And they know you, and they are hard on you, and they are making sure that you're paying taxes. So these guys were considered kind of traitors. It's kind of like if Russia came to America, invaded, took over Washington, now they're in the rule, and one of us, or one of your family members, chose to partner with Russia to pull taxes from your family members I mean you'd be kind of like whoa you know Uh, this this person this is the way tax collectors were viewed in the day Um, and one of these guys is Matthew and and Jesus comes to him and says follow me follow me means come hang with me take the influence that I have even have the influence that I have do even greater things than I will do with my life become like me obey me Follow me, listen to me, do what I do, this is the idea. Um, Follow me also meant for Matthew, and he knew this very clearly, this is all very common knowledge, that he had to leave tax collecting. To follow Jesus means I have to leave my current occupation, and obviously he left the booth, then he left the practice, and he goes and joins Jesus in this initiative. Um, It means you give up control of your life. You are submitting your life to a teacher, someone who's mentoring you, but you obey that person um, you just you you have given them lordship in your life, and so uh, you don't really call a lot of your own shots. You really do what he says. He's the master, uh, and so when you follow a guy, you're obeying his commands. And Matthew knew all of this when he did this. So why did Jesus approach a tax collector um, to follow him? Because rabbis of that day. You would pick the upper echelon of people. You would make sure you got the right family pedigree. You'd make sure you got the 4.2 GPA. You would make sure you went to the right schools. You'd make sure that you have the IQ to handle the things I'm going to tell you and that you could lead well. And you need to have leadership gifts and you need to have all kinds of things. I want to get the top of the top of the top of the echelon. Those are the people that everybody went after. And, and those are the people you knew. That, that's the people that get invited to those kinds of things. And so for a, a leader who's going around and healing people supernaturally, has all this popularity, and he comes up to a tax collector. Um, He's just br- blasting through this social norm. Nobody likes these guys. And yet you're going and pulling them in your inner circle. Jesus, if you want to be influential in your movement and in your ministry, you definitely don't need to use those guys because those guys are not respected. Those guys are outcasts. And that, that is the very person Jesus goes to, Matthew, a tax collector. And then he goes up to him and he says, follow me. And then Matt, Matthew does what? He just like drops everything and like walks away. Didn't even like fill the position. Think about it. He just walks off. I mean, isn't this the most odd parts of the Bible where you kind of go like, this feels eerie. It feels strange. feels like unreal where, you know, Jesus just walks up and, and says, follow me. And, and then Matthew goes, must follow Jesus. You know, you, doesn't it feel this way? Well, it's not really that way. And this moment happened, I believe, because there's a backstory to this. I believe Matthew knew who Jesus was quite well. Jesus definitely knew who Matthew was quite well. But let me give you a little bit of this backstory. It's important that you understand the context here. Um, let me show you something from another part of Scripture. John the Baptist was preaching at the Jordan River. John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Lord. He was preaching righteousness before Jesus came on the scene. Uh, and people are going to be baptized by John. And his message was that sinners needed to repent of their sins and behave accordingly, okay? So, in other words, they need to admit that they're sinners and that they're doing bad, that they need to confess their sins, be washed of their sins in the symbol of baptism, and they need to live their lives differently now because they are repenting and they're beginning to obey God's ways. Um, Well, guess who went out to John the Baptist Well, we look at Luke chapter 3, 12 to 13, and it says this, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? In other words, what they were doing is saying, we are sinful. We have heard your message. We feel conviction. We want to change. We want to be forgiven. What should we do? How should we live our lives? Teach us how to do that. And John baptizes there, symbolizing you're washed of your sins and your past, but now you go live in a different pattern. These people did repentance because they were convicted of their sin. But then look what John says back to them as far as what should they do. He says this. He said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. So what we see here is being a tax collector wasn't necessarily a sin. It was just, you just looked like a traitor and it was, uh, but it wasn't a sin. The sin was greed. What a tax collector would do is because I have authority from the Roman government in your life, And I have their backing and their protection and I am requiring taxes from you what I can do as a tax collector is charge you my fee for collecting your taxes and that fee I can pretty much make it whatever I want there was an authorized fee that Rome would require that you get paid but you know what it was nothing for you to hike it up double it whatever and you you were oppressive to people so the sin John says that tax collectors were doing is they were oppressing people, gouging people, taking advantage of people because of the position they had. And guess what? Because of that, they were wealthy. So it's not just that you're a traitor. Now you're a greedy, wealthy, oppressive person. And John is saying your sin is your greed. Your tax roll is your tax roll. But now you're oppressing people and you need to repent of that sin. And what did they do? Well, they repented of that sin. Okay? Now, I believe Matthew was present when Jesus pointed, when John pointed to Jesus. I believe Matthew was present and was one of those tax collectors who's at the Jordan repenting before the Lord. And now here he is, I believe, at his tax collecting booth being a good tax collector. At least showing signs of repentance in his life and at least not hiking up the price like like he's supposed to. All right? But I believe he was also present when John announced to Jesus. If he wasn't present, at least he heard what John had said about this Jesus. And then he had heard the stories of Jesus doing these miraculous signs. So he knows all about Jesus. He himself, perhaps, being one of these tax collectors that repents, Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. Could it be Matthew being in his life, feeling convicted of his sin, repented at the Jordan River, comes back. All the time, God knows, I see that heart. I see that heart. I see that humble heart that wants to change, that wants my forgiveness. I see that. And Jesus comes up and says, I see that, and I want you with me. And Jesus' expression is basically saying, I don't care how much of a social outcast you are. If you're humble enough to admit your sin and repent, I want you with me. Jesus is shattering a social norm here, a tax collector in his inner circle. Well, the first thing Matthew does as a follower of Jesus is to throw open the doors of his home. Perhaps he went back and paid a lot of people back, like Zacchaeus, said, I need to correct some things. Perhaps he threw open the doors of his home and he invited a bunch of people. Guess who are friends with tax collectors? Pretty much just other tax collectors because they have a little common bond in society. But you know who else they they were probably friends with? This whole classification of sinners. Any other social outcast, all the social outcasts gathered up and said, well, we're the outcasts, right? Well, guess who the friends of Matthew were? Sinners and tax collectors is the phrase that's used here. He flew up the doors of his home and he invited all of his friends to come to the home because Jesus would be there and Jesus is present with these people these social outcasts, these scum of the earth folks according to society, Jesus is in their midst and when Jesus would show up to a place think of village, don't think city like we live in, think of a village and this place is like a village, he comes to Matthew's home, he sits down it was a whole presentation, the whole village would crowd around All the people would come from surrounding areas knowing that Jesus was close. Word would spread. They would pile in around the house. And many times it was very customary if a rabbi showed up or something, everybody would surround the house and listen in to what the conversation is happening as they're meeting in the house. And they would just all listen in. It was just a town thing. And this is happening when Jesus is at Uh, Matthew's house. All these people are gathered around and they're listening to what he's telling them. And he's listening to his teaching. And all of them are listening. And guess who else is outside also listening? The Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious leaders. They are responsible for holding spiritual leaders and movements accountable to orthodoxy, to make sure that, people, that their people aren't getting led astray. And so the Pharisees were doing their appropriate role in society, and they're there to sort of uh, listen in on Jesus and make sure that he's teaching the way of that's right according to the Scriptures, and they're doing their fulfilled role. But they feel very icky in this moment because he's doing something they would never do. They don't want to join in this type of club the way Jesus is just embracing it. They don't want to get in there and into this icky situation. Why? Because one reason is, is because they feel like when the clean or the righteous gets in the context of the unclean or the unrighteous, the clean become corrupted. And I don't want to be corrupted by being in the midst of unclean. So when the clean get in the midst of the unclean, the clean become unclean. Does that make sense? But what they don't know about Jesus is he's the only one that when he's the clean and he gets in the midst of the unclean, he makes the unclean clean. And this is what he's in sense doing, but he's making the religious leaders very uncomfortable. And the other reason they would never do that, what Jesus is doing, is because they don't wanna be associated. They have a reputation to uphold. They have face. They have uh, their pride. They have their position in society. And they don't want to be associated with this kind of thing. So if I'm associated with these people, um, well then what I'm saying is, is that maybe um, I'm, I'm supporting them or, or I'm on their side. Or, and that's not good for society. They need to feel rejection. They need to feel shame. Because the kind, the way you get society to live for God is for you make those people outcasts. And the good... Um, keeps their distance, and this is this is the things they valued, and so they're in this meet, they're in this they're in this scenario where all these people are around, and Jesus is in with these people, and they go, "How could he do such a thing?" This is kind of the spirit in which they ask it. Why does he do that? Doesn't he know that he's supporting bad people and he's sort of siding with them? He's sending all the wrong messages? Does he he know that he's he's abruptly just shattering social norms that are really bad for society here? Jesus responds to them knowing what they were saying. And he says this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So who am I calling? Who am I here for? I'm here for sinners. Now the Pharisees thought what Jesus was saying perhaps in this moment was, hey, good people don't need me. Bad people need me. And I'm here for bad people. And I'm here to help the bad people become good. Okay, Maybe they heard that. But what Jesus was actually saying was, it's the people who know they're sick and know they can't heal themselves that actually look for a doctor. It's the people who know I don't have a way to make myself well that actually goes to the doctor. It's the people who know they're sinful who actually look for cleansing, who look for hope. It's the people willing to admit they're not okay. It's the people willing to admit I am a sinner and I am in need of forgiveness and that is who I've come to. It is those people that I will draw near to. Look at this. If you don't hear anything else I say, write this down. The narrative of the religious leader was this. Good people go to heaven Bad people don't. Be very careful to make that your narrative in Christianity because it is not the narrative. (laughs) The narrative of Christianity, here's what the narrative of Jesus was through his whole ministry. Humble people get heaven and proud people don't. Everybody needs to be saved from their sins. I don't care how good you think you are. You're a sinner. There's not a human being on this planet outside of Jesus Christ who is not a deep, dark sinner, desperate need of salvation, according to Jesus. If you haven't behavingly sinned, then you've sinned in your heart, and God knows. So the issue is not good people, bad people. The issue is who's going to come and be cleansed? The people who do are the humble, people who are willing to acknowledge it. According to Jesus, that's his narrative. See, humble people know they're sinners, and they repent. Proud people think they're fine, and they don't. And that is the line between a Christian and a non-Christian. It's not good and bad. It's, I believed and came and received. That's the only difference. Look what what Jesus said in Matthew 21, 31 to 32. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees again. He's in Jerusalem. He says, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. He's talking to the Pharisees. And he says, these sinful people are coming in and you are out. You're the good people. And you're not coming in. You're out. Why? Because these people know they're sinful. And they're rushing into the moment when they, someone offers them cleansing like me. And these are the people I'm drawn to. These are the people I will come to. These are the people I will fellowship with. These are the people. I don't care what their social standing is. I don't care how far they've gone. I don't care how deep their sin is. If they're willing to admit it. And, willing and, and want forgiveness, there I will be. But the person who thinks they're not sick, you're healthy, you're good, you're righteous, and you don't need saving as a sinner, you're not going to need me. He says this, for John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. He's talking to the Pharisees. John was preaching repentance. All the sinners repented. And guess what? They came in. And they got me. But look what he says to them. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. In other words, you're keeping yourself out. Why? Because you're proud. And a proud person who's relying on your own righteousness doesn't need a Savior. If you're willing to admit your need of God... There he'll be. So let's let that let word just sink in for just a second. For anyone who needs to hear it, the good news is Jesus will recline with any person, no matter how deep and dark, social outcast, no matter what they are, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, there he will be to that humble heart. Anything, wide open, he'll be seen with you. He'll receive you. But now back to the tension. Jesus is willing to associate around a meal with people who are total social outcasts. He's using a meal here to create all kinds of religious tension. He's using a meal here to impact people. He's, he's using a meal to search out the humble and who's, who's ready, who wants this. He's, he's using a meal to gather, to talk to collect, uh, to to share. He's using a meal to be the context in which all of this stuff is coming flying out of it. Eating a meal together. Hospitality, time, conversation. Uh, Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners, and we know that, but do you know exactly why? Because he ate with them. Do you all hear the power of eating? See, eating is association. Eating is intimacy, and we feel that today. Even You're you're at lunch with someone or you're you're eating with someone. There's a great sense of uh, belonging. There's a great sense of association, friendship, intimacy that just comes with a meal. It just does when you're eating a meal together. Benefits of a meal, let me just give you a couple of these things. It breaks down walls. A meal has a natural way of just breaking down walls with people. Nothing shatters social barriers more than just bringing people into a meal together. It also provides a natural environment for mutual sharing of lives. It is very hard to get around a meal and just talk business. We were at uh, Oklahoma talking to a contractor that we're talking about for this campus and, and some of the challenges we're facing, all that stuff. We're trying to just get business done. Uh, architectural business, and Rob's there with me, so we really need to get business done. He's got his bullet points and stuff. But they take us to lunch, and at lunch, I spent 90% of the time not talking business, talking about this contractor, about his faith journey, about his kids, his family, his career, how God's used worked in his life, sharing, mutual sharing. And you can't avoid it because it's a meal, and you instinctively rush into sharing of lives and sharing and conversation, getting to know each other. It just happens. And if you'll watch it, you'll notice it. And the quickest way to build friendships is over a meal. Now, what if we took this one event that we did, as the people who follow Christ, this one thing that we did that has such a powerful, like, setup, and we just give it intentionality in our lives. We're going to do this two, three times a day, maybe, right? What, What if we just put some of them there as intentional places where we Put this in a, in, a, in a situation where we can be missional with it. Think of meals this way. And I promise you, if you'll commit to, dedicated, to dedicate that particular time, a meal time, to the Lord and his mission in the people's lives this year, you'll do it the rest of your life. You'll see the power of it. You'll see the natural feel of how God works and ministers to people through it. And, and it's a, an amazing, amazing thing. But capturing these things, the simple thing of eating, um, to set up an environment where mutual sharing can happen and friendship and these types of things is a powerful thing. Let me give you a couple of books, real quick, before we get out of here. First, The Simplest Way to Change Your World is a book that was written. Uh, they even have our Austin Light Hangy Lightsy things, you know? Uh, so it looks like, looks like Austin anyway. Uh, but it's just a book about hospitality as a way of life. Thinking about meals, thinking about hospitality, and letting hospitality be a place and grounds by which God works through your life and ministers to people. But you have to be intentional about it. You have to do some things that are very simple and yet very powerful if you'll commit to it. And so I want, I want you to read that book. It's a great book. The Simplest Way to Change the World. You'll be blown away at how God takes it if you'll just commit those times to him. Open your home, be willing to do these things. Or maybe even just at a restaurant. But the simplest way to change your world. Then the other one is the gospel comes with a house key a great book here Rosaria Butterfield very missional she committed her home to it she tells lots of stories and inspirational like it's a gritty it's in the tension of being a saint of Christ and a friend of sinners and pulling that into your home and just be willing to to carry those burdens with other people and watch God use your life and the shared life with others and watch him use and impact the lives of other people. That is a gritty book. That is a great book to read. And uh, lots of stories involved. I encourage you uh, to read that that as well. Um, Let let me give you a couple of principles. If you want to sort of uh, launch into this and you want to just sort of commit these times, Let me talk to you a couple of principles to think about as you're approaching this. I'm assuming we're not doing any of it. I know many of you are and you're living your whole lives on this. Um, But I'm assuming we're not doing anything and where do we start? Okay. Well, here's some principles. Number one, be an inviter. Matthew, what's the first thing he does? He opens his home and he invites a whole bunch of friends over and he invites Jesus to be present. I mean, that. There's no better example than for what we can do uh, to live for Christ is to be an inviter. And it can be a big formal deal where you've planned out for months, and I've been invited to some of those, or I'm looking forward to it all, you know, for for months out. If you're a planner, well, okay, well, then sit down, calendar it out, do all the detailed work. If you're more spontaneous like me, just text a neighbor and go, we're running to Whataburger. Want to go? Right? Or Chewy's or whatever it might be, barbecue, something like that. I have a friend in Arizona He actually writes the curriculum for our, he and I work together to write the curriculum for life groups every week. And he said, I'm a church planner, so I'm thinking missionally about my neighborhood. And I live in the neighborhood where all the houses are real stacked together. But in Arizona, they've got brick walls. They don't have fences, they have walls, and they're like 10 feet high or whatever. You can even see over them. Uh, and he said, So, what we do is we our kids play out in the street. We'll invite all the neighbors over, and they said this. They say, There is an open invitation. You can stop by anytime you want. You don't have to tell us you're coming. You can always come over for hot dogs on a paper plate. Because he has kids, it's pretty much all they eat, right? And he's like, Y'all can always come over for hot dogs on paper. He says, Man, it, I'm blown away with how many people just show up with a smile going, We're ready for the hot dogs on a paper plate. People want community. And they just show up. They know it's hot dogs on a paper plate. It doesn't have to have any planning even, spontaneous. It's, it's, people value incredibly the fact that you'd be willing to associate with them, to have them over for a meal, to, even if it's anything, because you're saying, I'm open to be a friend to you. That's what you're saying when you invite someone to a meal without saying it. And I think that's a, a powerful example there. So be an inviter. Be a person who just thinks about where are we going, who can go with us. Maybe you don't think of anybody, but maybe you do. And just be an inviter. Take people with you when you go. Secondly, be hospitable. The Bible actually says practice hospitality. Romans 12, 13, it says practice hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In the first century, to practice hospitality meant this. You live in a village. People were traveling through the village all the time, going elsewhere, especially in the Galilee, in that area. Um, and so there was major people traveling through there. So you would go to the town square, kind of where the water well is probably, and you would see if there's anybody there traveling through that needs a place to stay. All right. So you'd meet someone, you'd go, oh, y'all are traveling through, okay. Um, and then you'd make sure you examine them, make sure they're not a psycho, out to kill you or anything like that. And after you did your little interview with them, you would say, we'll open our home, come we'll take care of you. That's practicing hospitality. And Christians did that in the first century like crazy. And that's what they mean by angels unaware. You don't know who you're who you're bringing into your house. You don't know where they came from or where they're going really. They're totally strangers and you don't know. They could be an angel. That's the idea in Hebrew. So so that's what Christians did and you know what? They spread the gospel all over the Roman Empire by one of the, the major way was that practice taking People who are traveling into their home. It actually became the practice of monasteries later in the West. A thousand years later, monasteries took on this role of taking on people. Hotels began to pick it up, and now we have hotels, and we really don't do this anymore, right? Uh, but the idea of hospitality is taking in people, taking in people into your home, being risky, uh, being vulnerable, uh, and, and being hospitable. In other words, serving these people, providing them a meal, and, and going overboard to make sure they have their needs met and showing them love. That's hospitality. Jesus even said this in Luke 14, 13 to 14. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What is he teaching us to be? He's teaching us to be people who open our homes to people who are way different than us. Way different. And that's fine. Bring people in. You don't think naturally that they're a friend. Invite them over. Invite them over. It'll feel out of place. Break that social barrier. Do it. That's what we are supposed to be. It's supposed to be our DNA. Um, did you know this? No man, You got the Chick-fil-A video? Y'all aren't going to believe this. We're about to have a revival. Watch what Chick-fil-A put together. silent awkward right (laughs) however listen to what Chick-fil-a is doing there was a man who owns a Chick-fil-a uh here in Austin and said why don't we foster community he sent that idea back to Atlanta they processed it they came out with the know your neighbor campaign and many of the Chick-fil-a's in Austin area have actually adopted this they will provide you 50 up to let me say up to 50 sandwiches free y'all if you'll be willing to invite your neighbors over and just hang out and get to know each other. It literally is on a platter. (laughs) Literally. And let me tell you, especially if you have young kids in your neighborhood, they are going to pack it out if they know they get a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. For some reason, that is like a gigantic deal. They'll provide up to 50 sandwiches for you. I encourage you to take Chick-fil-A up on their offer. Wear out that manager if he doesn't know about it yet because it's very, very new. It's just starting to roll out. But wear him out about it. They'll find out about it, but it's across the board. And it also plays into you fulfilling the role of Christ in your community. That I'm building community with other people. I want to share my life with them and see and get to know them. And, and, and Chick-fil-A is playing right into that. Why not? Why not do that? How simple is that? I want to encourage you uh, to do that. Third, be courageous. This takes courage there's a couple of quotes I had guys uh, I'm not going to mention those those quotes I'm going to move on for time's sake um, but hospitality toward others is going to feel a little stretchy okay you're going to I don't know, whatever fear it is that you have whether I have a fear of inviting people because they're going to reject me I have that sure okay I can see that but overcome it let's go get to inviting people um, it may have it may be courage in the sense that you're inviting people over that it's a little feels a little risky you know uh, it may be that you're taking care of someone who needs care for a little bit, Uh, maybe that's the case, but you're going to need to have some courage. Hospitality over hostility, trust over suspicion, Risk over security is involved in hospitality, okay? So you're going to have to show some courage in certain situations. Fourthly, be gracious. It could be that the person that you bring over to your house is way, way different than you. It could be that they're going to sit across the table and they're going to share some political opinions that make you want to throw up. You know what you do in that moment? You kick them out. No. 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 We don't. We show grace. We give them space. We recognize they're on a journey. God most of the time doesn't just work in a lightning bolt fashion. Most of the time he works slow. You had a journey yourself. They have a journey too. How about I just be patient and gracious in this, be present there, and let their pathway and let me be involved in their pathway rather than get in a (laughs) hogtie, With them across the table and ruin the whole thing from the get go, right? You can show grace, right? You can be gracious with people. It's okay. There's a tension that comes up from that, and just stay in the tension. You know, it's not compromising your your convictions. It's not changing your perspectives. It's just showing grace for people who are different than you and letting them have their journey. And then, uh, be, so be gracious. And then, lastly, be real. Be you. Don't feel like you've got to be something else. Okay. Um, and you, you definitely don't want to, to try to, to they'll, they'll smell out fake. So don't, don't, don't try to be something you're not to try to influence. You being you is incredibly powerful to other people. And that means that you need be vulnerable. There's hurts and pains in your life that you've gone through. There's, there's things that, that they may talk about and you go, man, I, I wish I had it all together. Uh, but I can't read a book. I get to chapter 2 every time, and I, throw it and I, and it never, I never get further than that. Or something. You, you just always be vulnerable. Be, tell, talk, talk about who you who you are. The one thing people hate the worst is to feel like they came over for a presentation. You get invited by that friend to come over, and you finally come over, and they go, all right, we have something we want to share with you. It's not a pyramid, though. <laughs> what happens in your heart? Ugh. They're not real friends, right? They want to sell us something, right? Whatever that is. Don't ever, ever do that. Just be you and just have an interest in them. Let the real you get to know the real them and that's it. If you put an agenda on it or you try to force the issue, most of the time it's going to backfire. Just be you. Let Christ have the moment. He will. He'll take it. You'll be shocked at how people get ministered to and how people feel loved and supported and friendships are developed. And you'd be shocked at how it would impact people's lives if you just let the real you, the Christ in you, live through you and, and getting to know the real them. That's all that's required. He will take it and he will work in their lives and you'll be a great blessing to many people. Let me ask you this. Think of it in your mind and evaluate. Is this who we are as the church? is this how we view life I mean maybe it may be the case but if it's not maybe ask how can i get one notch closer today this week to letting that be me let me let me show some intentionality let me show some courage let me get out there let me have some people let me let me, let me be this a little more than I am today. But it, is this who we are? It's a good question to ask. And then just open yourself up to the Lord. He loves a heart that's open to him. And just say, Lord, I'm not. I wish I were more. I don't even know my neighbors. I don't even know their names. Uh, I, honestly, I, I can't even figure out why I don't even care. But would you help me? I promise you they will destroy your yard or something soon so you'll have a conversation. He, he, he does that. He does it, and he does it all the time. And if your radar is up, you'll see it. But open your heart to the Lord and ask him how you can do that this week. Let's practice some of these examples. Amen? So, so pray for them. Invite them over to a meal and listen well. Can you do that once this week? Once. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to invite them over to a meal. Or maybe just invite them to lunch or invite them to Chewies or whatever. God bless Chewies. Oh, that just came to mind. We're all going to eat lunch there now. But go, go to Chewie's, invite him to a meal, and then just listen really well and just just practice. Just practice, okay? Let's, let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. Thank you for your word. And, and Lord, uh, I feel like I tried to tap into your heart as best I could and try to relay that to us as your people. And, and Lord, I just take you, I pray you just take it from, from, from there. And uh, guide us in our hearts. Give us wisdom on how this applies. I know it's, it's in a million ways that we can all do little things that are, that are like this and with this spirit. And so give us wisdom in this. And give, fill our hearts with, with an interest in living missionally with these moments of meals. And, uh, Lord, show us how impactful they can be when we're simply faithful, just simply present, just simply put it together, invite someone, show the courage. Be gracious, be real, take charge, Lord, and use us for your glory. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.